0: Baker Mayfield undraftable off my board The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield What a beautiful
1: throw by the Baker Victor Hasta la vista baby touchdown.
2: Welcome into the OBR film breakdown I'm your host Jake Burns We shift our focus now into Pittsburgh week, and as we do that, I kind of want to have a really interesting conversation around the team as a whole as we sort of wrap up the bye, mini bye week, not really the bye week, the mini bye coming off that Thursday night win, and you've heard from me over the last few days, you've heard from the Twitch with some of our people at the OBR, but I do, as you guys know, like to pull in other opinions as well. And we're doing that today. And then we'll shift to really digging in on Pittsburgh tomorrow. We have a great guest lined up who will give you all the information about where they are and what's been a up-and-down season for Pittsburgh as well. So there'll be plenty of time to dig in on the Steelers. But for today, there's still some big topics to iron out as the Browns weren't really publicly out there today. They practice Monday. They really get back into the building on Wednesday. I'll update you before our guest tomorrow on all the things that happen around the Browns leading up to practice, after practice, the status of some injured players, all of that. We'll get into all of that stuff. But there's some big picture things here, coaching staff, Baker, that I really want to iron out with Doug LaMaurie. He's a great guest, uh, you know, a guy who I've worked with several times. He's with Cleveland.com, does a great job there. More on Ohio State coverage, but does get into the Brown stuff too. So wanted to bring Doug on to talk about some of these big topics because I do think he has really well thought out opinions on things. And if you do listen to pressers, he does a great job asking questions too that sort of point in the direction of some prudent things that matter to the team, decision-making, so on and so forth. So pay attention to Doug's work if you're not already. I'm sure you are. Let's get over to that interview right now. All right, first time in a while. Caught him in a window between a busy Ohio State season in the interest of talking about some Browns. Doug, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing great, Jake. Happy to be with you again, my friend.
2: Yes, of course. It's always good to talk about the Browns with you when I can peel a little bit of your time because the insight is I think unique and I think the discussion's good. So I want to I want to start with believe it or not, this is, this is like the uh, the odds on this being the first topic were are probably pretty high. Got to talk about Baker Mayfield and where he's been at this year, between the shoulder, between the the decision-making stuff, little hesitation. The statistics aren't good and the film has not been great. It's been okay, not been great. Browns were putting themselves in an interesting position now with with how they set him back in his first two years. All the discussion in the preseason about this is the year where he proves his worth uh, to get that next contract. Could he be a $40 million quarterback? Could he be a $30 million quarterback? We'll start with this. How do you really think Baker's played considering all that's happened? The thing
0: that I am most hung up on, I think, about Baker this year is the throws he hasn't made. And it just feels like more often than I remember in the past, there have been times where it looks like there's a guy that's open. Baker is looking at him and he decides not to throw it. And usually it's shorter stuff, but like stuff that's there for the taking that maybe even for a first down sometimes. Um, And I don't know what the answer to not making some of those throws is. I don't know if he's. Turning down the easy money because he thinks, no, I want to make a bigger play. Let me hold the ball and see if something comes open. I don't know if maybe there was something with the shoulder. And it's like, even though it looked like a guy was open, he wasn't in a comfortable spot physically to make that throw in that moment. I don't know if it's like overconfidence or lack of confidence. But I I even asked Kevin Stefanski about one um, from the last game that Baker played that it just like. You can see him like looking straight at Odell and Odell was open and he just didn't throw it. And I just sort of like just trying to figure out, like, why did that happen? And then Kevin said, well, you know, he did take one of those earlier in the game. And those are the kind of throws that we do want him to take. So that implied to me that Kevin thought, yeah, maybe he could have taken that. So that is the weirdest thing to me. I also do think and I don't know if you caught this, Jake, and I know you podcast 24 hours a day and I'm not able to keep up with all of them. The throw that he missed to Higgins in his last game for the pick. That was like one of the more like just looked like a Baker miss. Kevin did say something about guys running routes at the right depth. And I think Baker and Higgins did talk after that route. And it felt like to me, Kevin was throwing out there. Well, it looked like a miss. Maybe the guy wasn't in the spot he was supposed to be. And Baker was throwing it to the spot. So I thought that was interesting. So he's supposed to be accurate. He's supposed to be efficient. And when he's not accurate and not efficient, or as not as accurate and efficient as we think he could be, that's where the questions come in. I know he's not, I don't expect him to be magic. I don't expect him to be Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Um, but there have been times where it's not even mistakes. It's just not taking something. And with my feeble football brain, Jake, um, I have not been figured, been able to figure out why it feels like that's happening. And it's not a. Not the end of the world, but it's just a little weird to me, and it makes me think like, what kind of what is up with Baker? Am I, have you felt some of that at all, or am I a crazy person here?
2: No, I felt it too. I mean, the eyes don't always, you know, the, the the blame wants to go to the shoulder, and I, you know, the rationale I should say, not the blame, and I get that. I mean, if your shoulder really hurts and your front shoulder is uncomfortable, it's not going to be an easy process to to quickly get rid of the football or pull the trigger on throws downfield that you want to pull the trigger on. Maybe you're looking at him, whatever. So there's some of that, I understand that, that that point doesn't miss me, but there are times where the eyes just aren't in the right location, and it's like, you mix that in with the eyes being wrong off the snap, mix that in with what you said, where he's seeing things, like, you'll look at the tape and his head will be looking right where he's supposed to look and he doesn't throw it, and then some of the accuracy issues, so... You know, there could be some things like that where where Higgins is supposed to hit 20 yards before he starts bending in or whatever, and that's possible. That ball was so far outside. I don't know. I guess. I guess it's possible. I just don't know. Looking at how the coverage unfolded, I'm just not sure how that ball being placed there was ever going to be the right decision, but that's not—I'm the guy behind the computer who talks to a microphone all day. I don't get in the coaching office and do the important stuff, but— it something's not right the steps have not been taken you can put it on the shoulder you can put it on whatever that's fine but like the decision doesn't change right the 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 evidence is not quite what you hoped it would be at this point maybe the if you wanted bad or good evidence it's really not cleared itself up because you can pretty easily throw away the bad evidence because hey man this guy has a literal torn labrum and a a bone break in there. It's easy to understand why, but the problem is again, the time crunch, Doug, it is they're up against a decision that is not easy to make. And it's like, okay, people say, Hey, you know, he plays out next year and then they can tag him. That's fine. Well, that, you know, they have to take the three highest quarterback salaries and average that out. That's, that's a ton of money for a single season. It's going to be in the forties. It's going to be in the mid forties by the time that gets here. So that's like, you can't really bank on that. And the decision is still right in front of you. So, I'm not asking you to tell me whether you would or wouldn't sign him, but I'm kind of looking for Doug, like, what is the thought for you? Like, there's this this common thrown around, well, hey, he's not a, he's not a 40 million Josh Allen quarterback, but he's a 32 to 35 million dollar quarterback. If he's not a 40 million dollar quarterback, why would you give him 30? Like, I, I just like, why would you're tying up the difference between 40 and 30? I get it. That's 10 million. You can sign another player. But you're investing then four years of that quarterback at that price point. And it's like, if he's not 30, then why are you, sorry, if he's not 40 or something like that, why are you investing? Yeah. You should you should consider just hitting the reset at quarterback, keeping case and trying to find an answer down the line. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm not looking for you to tell me whether what way you're feeling because I would be surprised if anybody has a clear direction what way they're feeling. But I do think we're seeing the timeline shrink here and it's starting to become like
0: squirm in your seat uncomfortable, you know? So I do think you – to me, if you think it's not Baker, right, because I do think the point you're – some of the finance stuff, I always wonder, like, why are people so interested in the finances of a football team, right? I mean, I guess they have to manage the cap because managing the cap allows you to get more good players or whatever. But, like, I think Andrew Berry's pretty good at it. I don't think you have to, like, pinch pennies on the quarterback to make sure that you can have a good swing tackle. Right. I mean, you end up blowing money on places on stuff all all over the place. Right. I mean, Chris Hubbard's making good money. He's really hurt. at screwing up the tackle thing. But what are you going to do? So stuff happens. So I don't care that much about the dollar figure. Right. To me, it's a matter of do you want Baker to be your guy long term or not? Yeah. And people throw out Jared Goff and Carson Wentz all the time. Right. And the thing about that to me is, well, the Rams signed Jared Goff. He turned out to be not that good. And so what happened? Well, they traded for a guy that they thought could get him to a Super Bowl, and they seemed pretty good. Okay. The Eagles signed Carson Wentz. What happened? It turned out not to be the guy that got rid of him. And if they had a guy ready, they drafted the guy in the second round. If Jalen Hurts was good, they'd be fine. And it turns out Jalen Hurts maybe isn't that good, but they have three first-round picks next year, and they'll take a quarterback. I do think the idea, like, say you pay him, and then he's maybe—and the worst-case scenario is he's Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. I don't think it torpedoes the franchise for 10 years, right? So I almost don't know that there's much risk to just paying him. Assume he's going to be the guy. Just keep, he's a number one pick in the draft. Assume he's going to be the guy. Pay him. Whatever it is. Whatever it takes to get it done. And then keep seeing. And then if you really get a definitive answer of like, nope, he's not it. Then deal with that. But I just don't, like, if, if your answer is I don't know about Baker, it's like well then then what? Case Keenum for 17 games? That's not it. Mm-hmm. Who are you trading for? Who do you think you're going to draft with the 28th pick? Who are you like who else are you going to get? So I don't mean to be like dismissive of it, but I just I almost don't see the harm and just like of course you're going to sign him. You'll figure it out. Whatever it is, he's not going to demand as much money as the best quarterbacks in the in the league. He knows he's not Patrick Mahomes. So settle on a fair price, sign him. He's having a tough injury deal. Bring him back next year. And then if he's not good, then deal with it then. But I think he'll be fine. I don't like I almost am like not that worried about it because they have so much else in place, Jake. Mm-hmm. Good coach, good front office, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, John Johnson the 3rd, JOK, Greg Newsome, like they have other things in place. They're going to be a good football team. So just Keep the quarterback you have. Assume he's going to be good. And if definitively, definitively, definitively like McVay got to the point with Jared Goff of knowing he's not it. When you get there, make a move. They're definitely not there yet. If you have maybe people have questions about Baker Mayfield, nobody knows for sure. He's definitely not it. So until he's a hard no, he's your quarterback.
1: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: I like it. I like it because you can also build in some things around contracts that give you chances to get out of it, too. It's not like it has to be a locked-in, stone-cold guarantee. You know, you can bet on banker—sorry, you can bet on baker banking on that's a lot of bees you can bet on him banking on himself and saying i'm going to go out and prove it sort of sort of maybe a deal centered around something like jimmy garoppolo has where certain roster cut you know situations happen he keeps hitting the deadline he makes his money if he's on the roster they can get creative i think they can do some things like that but you're right i think everybody takes that decision to to resign him or not as like it puts you back for a decade when i don't think that has to be the case so that's that's an interesting way to frame it i like it you talked about these these coaches, the coach they have in the right spot, and I do, I do believe Kevin Stefanski. My my faith in that guy has wavered zero percent. I still think he says all the right things, and he's really prepared. There is the notion that the Browns are top five in penalties accepted. There have been some little uh, little things that pop up in the in the media every now and again. So I'm just kind of curious: Have you wavered at all in thinking that the Browns are a extremely well coached or? or B, that, that Stefanski doesn't have a grasp on play calling. Maybe he should step back and give Alex Van Pelt play calling. Just little things that you pop. When they have the fourth down struggles they've had and some, some things where Baker hasn't connected on some plays, you hear people start to blame Stefanski, shift that blame there. And we're going to tie this into Joe Woods in a minute. But I'm just, you know, you've had more evidence of Kevin, right? We got 18 games of evidence last year. We've now up to seven games this year. I'm just curious if you feel the same way year two as you do in year one.
0: You know, I mean, everybody has a honeymoon period, right? I mean, he gets him to the playoffs. He seems like this calming influence in a worldwide pandemic. Like, everything was going right for Kevin Stefanski. So there's no way he could have maintained that level of people adoring him. So this is just normal stuff. The play calling, I don't have an issue with. I, I did think going forward on fourth down um, in the last game, I would not have done it, even though it worked and led to the touchdown that helped them win the game. I thought he pushed it too far there. So I do think I like the aggressiveness on fourth down. Generally, I actually think I, I didn't love that decision itself. The play calling, I think, is fine. We love the poise and the calm and the competence and the structure. Right. I do think with a guy like that, you wonder, well, what happens if a guy pushes back? What about if you need to, you know, drop the hammer and like, hey, if the, you know, We are getting sloppy with the penalties. Like, will he sort of, like, demand the respect in the room if it ever gets sideways? Because it always gets sideways every now and then, even at the best franchises. So I do think it's fair to wonder about that. And I did think, you know, in the Denver game, it was like Odell, I think, had a penalty for lining up wrong. I think Higgins lined up wrong and had a penalty. And Joku had that terrible, just sort of for no reason, moving forward at the snap motion penalty right at Mm -hmm. the end that made him run like an extra play and like just crack the door open. It's like, well, how could that happen? So it is one of those things. If a Freddie kitchen's team was being that sloppy, people would be going crazy. Right. And we did go crazy when Freddie's teams team singular got a lot of penalties, but people thought that the penalties reflected a general sloppiness to Freddie's approach. Nobody thinks Kevin is sloppy in his approach, but I do think it's fair to ask that question. I don't know what the answer would be, maybe other than bad luck, maybe than other just a little more focus here or there. But I certainly think it's fair to ask that question. And listen, I think this guy is going to be the head coach here for a long time. And that means he's going to screw some stuff up. That means he's going to get some criticism. I think there will be much more good than bad. But I think he's settling into like the normal head coaching, Jake. Right. Which means you don't do everything right. And we have to ask you about stuff when it kind of seems like you might be screwing something up.
2: That's right. Andy Reid's dealing with it right now. Even the good ones get it. the good ones get it, man. When things aren't going right, and not that they're not, you know, I think people are pretty understanding of the the injury luck that Cleveland is dealing with here. And they found a way to get to four and three. I think the season's dictated in the next four games. Yep. I don't know how you feel about that, but these four games are like. This is where it swings because you go to the bye, you come back, and it gets really tough. So you got to do well in these four games. If they're going to do well in these four games, the defense has to play well because they're getting the types of quarterbacks that they really have done well against this year. The guys who don't move. You get Ben, you get Goff, you you get Mac Jones, you get a lot of these guys who don't move. Burrow's above average there. He'll get out and use his legs when he needs to, but he wants to throw. So these are the guys. And with the defense, it's been... Listen, it's been as roller coaster as roller coaster gets. It's been some really great performances and then some really bottom of the roller coaster drop off. So I'm interested in this because of how it ties into Ohio State, ironically. And I know that's where you spend the majority of your time. But like with the Kerry Collins, Matt Barnes thing, and like how much of this stuff because you know I'll break down the tape and I'll look at it and you know, Denzel Ward maybe doesn't react in time on a coverage that is perfectly teed up for him to take care of a running back in the flat, or Ronnie Harrison stepping up into the curl flat and just every indicator's telling him the quarterback's throwing the ball to the flat. it has got the shoulder separate, the shoulder pointing, the hand separating, and he's not reacting. And then second and 10 becomes third and one. Like, how much do you try to... Or I guess it's like your process here, Doug. How much do you put on a coordinator versus players not doing what they're supposed to do? Because I know... I, obviously it always comes back to the coordinator it's going to it's just the way it is they don't fire players midseason that often like the real players the john johnsons ronnie's denzo they're not gonna fire those guys but like they're gonna take it out on the coordinator and it's like i wonder how much joe woods is sitting in his office and saying "My, like what am i what can i do you know so i i'm just curious sort of where you have watched the browns defense and and pinned the issues that they have had come up this year because they've had issues, but then they've had these performances like Denver, the bears, Minnesota, where you've been like, when it's all right, it looks like amazing cohesion here. So I'm curious where you're at with it.
0: I did think after the Arizona game, when it seemed like a lot of people were talking about, you know, they're so not on the same page. They're not even in the same book kind of stuff. I didn't feel like the defense was chaotic. I didn't feel like, nobody knew what was happening. I felt like on several individual plays, like 10 guys did their job and one didn't, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins winds up wide open in the back of the end zone because Ronnie Harrison's supposed to have coverage there and he just sucks up for no reason, really. And then that guy's alone. I, it wasn't like the, they were it, they were completely like befuddled as to what coverage everybody was supposed to run. So I, I didn't think it was as bad as maybe some other people thought it was. And then I thought against Denver, it was pretty good. I do think there feel like it feels like there are times where I, I think a lot of times people want to blitz all the time to solve stuff because everybody wants to blitz and get after the quarterback. I yeah. do feel like there are times he's, he even over blitzes though, that when you have miles Garrett and Jadavion Cloney and the Malik's that sometimes you are getting decent four man pressure And with the speed they have on this defense now, if you pressure with four, drop in coverage, do your job, I like your chances a lot of the time. And there have been times when, you know, they blitz JOK and Grant Delpit and Troy Hill, and then the ball comes out quick. And it's like, well, what was the point of that? You know, I don't feel like their blitzes get home a ton. So I do feel like sometimes they push the envelope where they don't need to. And it just bugs me. I know you've got to change things up. You can't just do the exact same thing every snap. But. There have been a couple times where like Tack McKinley has wound up in coverage because they're blitzing somebody and dropping an end in coverage, and he had the play last week where it's like, hey, Tack McKinley is covering Tim Patrick, who's Denver's best receiver on this play. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you, (laughs) like, why do you have to try that? Like, it's not, it didn't trick anybody. And can't you just have one of the linebackers you trust in that coverage or a safety that you trust and let Tack rush and don't be too fancy? So I do think the talent there is good enough jake that you can be a little basic with these guys hope miles gets after the quarterback believe in your coverage and let that work and i feel like sometimes when they've been hit it's because they're trying to do too much and then every now and then a guy just has absolutely blown his assignment but i i don't feel like it was ever disastrous or a lost cause and i so i don't feel like joe woods is like driving this defense off a cliff
2: well there's the other side of thought here which is like okay you you made a great point there about well blitzing will solve all your problems it won't if you watch baltimore who just surrendered 41 to cincinnati they've given up 400 yards passing i think three times might even be four times already so while that defense is fun in theory to walk down get physical you know have cover zero stuff going on where you're bringing eight man pressures or something crazy like that It's cool in theory, and I get everybody loves it because it's, you know, it's almost backyard football to an extent. What the Browns do, I think, is really sound. I really do think the the approach they have in funneling things into certain areas of the field where you can react up, make tackles, eliminate explosives. The issue is, like you said, 10 being right, 1 being wrong, and you have 72-yard Mike Williams touchdown. So that part of it can't happen. And I know there's a little bit of a safety overlap and skill sets and some of these guys playing deep that maybe – are a little more suited closer to the line of scrimmage. I think that's something they're going to have to address in the future. But the defense philosophy, I feel like, is fine. And I think you're agreeing with me. The way they approach it is fine. I do think Woods, like you said, does start to feel a little pressure about how can I, you know, I need to be creative here. I need to draw everyone's attention by doing something different, unique. And yeah, if you're going to play outside Shade's uh, help coverage from Grand Delpit and leave... And leave Tack McKinley to cover the middle of the field, right against Tim Patrick. It's probably not going to work out all too well. It's just it's an impossible yeah. ask. So there is some overthinking, but I, I think if you if you go back and, and eliminate like seven plays this year, they're not they're not doing terrible. They're really not. They they'd be able to handle a lot of what's being thrown their way. And I think as the year goes on and they get more exposure, as we tried to illustrate on our Twitch channel earlier with some of this chalk talk stuff, which is they're actually starting to put in some fun wrinkles and like I said they faced a gauntlet of pretty dangerous quarterbacks at the beginning of the year now Lamar is Lamar and you're going to get him and you're going to get Joe Burrow twice and you got you got some dangerous quarterbacks coming but like I think they're really able to handle these slower pocket type quarterbacks because they can do some things to manipulate the eyes and it's like Mike Tomlin said about these fast quarterbacks and what he did over the weekend was studying how mobile quarterbacks change situational football it's just the added element the nfl hasn't found an answer for defensively yet so i think the browns are in that boat and they're not the only team in that boat so i talked earlier doug about the four games coming up how important those are I'll kind of close with this like where do you think these four go i'm curious and i know there's some unknowns still we don't know whether baker's playing I just kind of looking at those games I'm kind of curious where you think they feel like, where do you feel good? And then how do you feel about the rest of the year? Is it all like an uphill battle because your quarterbacks hurt and you're really maybe forced to play case five, six games the rest of the year until Baker's ready? Or do you feel like they should be able to overcome this getting back to some better health?
0: So when they were three and three, I thought they had to go four and one in the next five, because I thought getting to seven and four, Before the Baltimore double dip was where they needed to be. I thought it was very doable. Maybe not very doable, but doable. But I thought that was the threshold that they needed to set. And so they got one of those wins. So now they need to go three and one in the next four. And if they get to seven and four and then you think, okay, well. Ten and seven probably gets you in right so can you go three and three down the stretch? Well, what if you could go four and two and now you're 11 and six? Well, what if it even goes a little wrong and you're two and four? Well, you're nine and eight. You're still in the mix, right? So I, th- I do think they have to win three of the next four to set it up. But in general, Jake, the way I'm viewing it is I picked them to go 13 and four. Everything's great. Odell is back. The connection is there. The two running backs, the offensive line, the brand new defense. They're rolling. Right. Toss that out. That's gone. It's a grind now. I I wouldn't say it's an uphill battle because I still think it's level ground, but they're no longer skipping through the fields of dandies, dandelions. Right. They're now trudging. They've got a little bit of the injuries are sort of like a backpack on their back. So it's not a mountain, but you're carrying some burdens now and you can still do it. You've got water in the pack. You got a nice walking stick. It's not raining yet. (laughs) So just keep walking. But this is not going to be a sprint. It is not going to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It's grind it out time. And you have enough good players that you can lose a couple good players and still have enough good players to win a lot of games. So that's what this is to me. I'm not thinking about my 13 and four prediction anymore. I'm trying to figure out what they need to do to get to 10 and seven. 9-8 9 and 8 at the worst, maybe even 11 and 6, and that starts with winning 3 of the next 4 games and being 7 and 4 before you try to get a split with Baltimore to propel propel yourself into the last month of the season.
2: It's a great way to put it. It's, it's Some of it, too, you're talking about you know, the 13-4. You weren't certainly weren't alone in that prediction. The schedule's been harder than everybody anticipated, too. And I, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to be even harder as you close out the year. If you look at it based on where everybody thought the schedule ranked in the preseason, which is a really funny exercise to me in general, because the NFL is way more luck-driven with injuries than anybody ever wants to admit. The Thursday night game with Arizona and Green Bay is the perfect example where two guys are out with COVID who mean a lot. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's a brutal thing. And people never talk enough about injury luck and how it changes everything almost week to week. So it's, it's a tougher schedule than people thought the Browns have dealt with the injury luck that has been on the wrong side of the spectrum this year when it was on the right side of it last year. But what will tell us the most is can they weather the storm? Like you're talking about, can they trudge along and still find a way to get to nine, 10, 11 wins? Because that would tell me, They really have something here. Between the leadership, between the core of players in this locker room, if you can do that against some luck in terms of schedule stuff flipping and in terms of injury luck flipping, you got something. Take it as a mini-season. We got a four-game season right here that we have to figure out a way to go 3-1. and If they do so, they're in great shape. You heard it here from Doug. Thank you so, so much, man. I know the listeners appreciate you taking time for us, Doug, man. Thank you again.
0: Great to be with you, Jake.
2: All right, guys, thanks to Doug for joining us, and thanks to you all for listening. If you have not done so, go back and watch the Tuesday Night Chalk Talk show where we broke down Case Keenum's performance as well as we broke down offensive line play with Kyle Murphy, and then we broke down defense with John Stephenson as best we could in the time frame allowed. Uh, check those out. Appreciate you guys, as always, giving your uh, reviews uh, and subscriptions to the podcast. I, I thank you that for that so, so much. Those have been through the roof. Those of you who have uh, won the hats, those hats have gone out. They should be wherever your location is, whenever USPS gets them to you, but they are shipped. Not an easy task, but one that was done. So thanks to uh, all of you who put in those uh, reviews for the pod. We'll do more of those later on, trying to expand. We'll see if time permits me to get something out by the end of the regular season. But I would like to do some merchandise for those of you who have been loyal followers of this podcast so again thank you for listening to today's show thanks to doug for coming on and giving us his time and we'll be back tomorrow with our behind enemy lines episode of the pittsburgh steelers and update you on everything that went on at browns practice and around berea thanks again for your time and effort checking out today's podcast we sign off with the usual go browns